Oh. Oh, holy crap. Uh, Fox? Fox? Wake up. It's, it's the new millennium. Y2K got it, Disney. Oh. Does it look better than the last millennium? Look, honestly, yes. On average, I guess. Yeah. In a specific movie? So, hello and welcome to the Disney Animated Cannonball, a podcast where I, Talon Lee, he, him, and I, Fox Lee, she, her. Yes, I remembered all that. Yep. Watch all of the Disney Animated Canon movies. And for some reason... <laughs> for some reason... This is included. It's, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely not their feature film for 2000. You'll notice that there was another film for this year. I like to think that this was a bonus helping. Yeah. Because no one wanted it. Pretty much. And uh, according accordingly with that, uh, this episode is going to be a bit of a bonus helping. Because uh, there's not a, not a hell of a lot of substance here to uh, to get through. Mm-hmm. Normally we would uh, recap the plot in 60 seconds. But uh, since this is another combo musical, there is no plot. And the last time we did this, coincidentally... We had a lot of technical information that I was able to dig up because I was bored. (laughs) Um, And we had a two-day break between when we watched the movie and when we recorded it, which meant that Fox actually had a really fun memory game of trying to dredge up each of the (laughs) entries. It's not going to work this time. Which are all a lot more literal, and also that movie is an extra 40 minutes longer than this one. And also, there's just a lot more interesting technical stuff around the first Fantasia. This was made in a period of boring excess where Disney was the best at everything, so there's nothing interesting going on here. I can think of one interesting thing in this movie, and we'll get there. But for now, we would normally be saying, here's the plot in 60 seconds. There isn't one. Nope. And then we would move on to the double take, which is, hey, what's something new you've noticed this time? And then the structure would continue on. We would talk about the Yikes store, the animation and the making, a grand thesis and onto onto into whatever land. And the thing is... (laughs) Onto into. We kind of just live in whatever land right now. Let's, I mean, let's let's speed run these, okay? Um, Do you have a prior relationship with this movie? I owned it on VHS. It felt like a responsible adult who appreciates animation's (laughs) purchase. I guess this is worthy of note in that this is the first Disney we saw together. Yes. Because I watched that VHS at your house. Yeah. uh, When when we first got together. Um, Well, the first one we saw for the first time together. We watched Hunchback together before that point. Are you sure? Yes, at your house. Alright, I trust you then. Um, But uh, I... But uh, I don't remember finding it anything but kind of eh at the time. And uh, on the rewatch a couple of years back, it's nothing but eh. And today, it was nothing but eh. Uh, So we have no prior attachment and we have gained nothing. (laughs) Now, the Yikes store. Is there anything Yikesy in this film? In a sort of low-key generalized way. Like, if I really wanted to, I could stir it up. Like... Pomp and circumstance manages to marry marry together Disney creationism and the British Empire all at once. <laughs> which, wow, fuck you! Last time Fantasia did the amazing Rites of Spring. I mean, uh, save this for the main thesis because that's the closest thing I've got to it. <laughs> but um, 
aside from that, largely no. It's this is okay. Okay, here's your yikes. This is meant to be a celebration of the idea of Fantasia done in the year 2000, which is itself an echoing of Fantasia from the 1940s. That Fantasia was made by people born in the early 1900s and in the late 1800s, and therefore to them animation was this new, exciting, vibrant technology that was doing amazing things. They had to invent ways for theaters to play stereo sound for the original fantasia yeah 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 yeah. this fantasia is a victory lap by the 20th century's most privileged people (laughs) or give or take as they glorify themselves in the light of their mature medium that has released at least one movie that made a billion dollars yeah um that's kind of what i was gonna say like it's not yikes exactly but the other name of this segment is of its time and this uh in in retrospect feels profoundly of its time in that it's showing off and it really doesn't have much of a right to not really no (laughs) this is fantasia at least was really interesting and had some like properly groundbreaking animation shit in it Mm -hmm. as well as just conceptually being something extraordinary and there is definitely animation in here that is very impressive but it's not groundbreaking it's iterative on stuff they've already done and it's better versions of stuff again they've already done i don't this is going to be my hot take i don't think the animation in this is especially good okay uh we'll talk more about that per individual segment if you don't mind do you want to run through the list of what actually happens in this movie real quick Sure, and uh, we'll just, you know, throw some notes in as we go, because there's, there's no uh, central meat to this. Uh, what do we got first? Beethoven's, is that his fifth? or Symphony is number five from Beethoven. The fifth. Yep. Okay, yeah. Uh, so this is obviously in the spirit of the first piece of Fantasia. It's not entirely abstract, but it's largely abstracted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and echoing the first segment of the first Fantasia is an even more obvious god thing going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is just the butterfly rapture, right? Yeah, though it also has a measure of aren't colorists important? Like, aren't the people <laughs> who bring color so much more important than those foul, filthy, degenerate people who don't? It, yeah, but also, like, I mean, yes, and in doing so is the most sort of basic use of color of, like, oh, look, Things that are black and uniform are bad, and things that are colourful are good. Yike. And go to heaven. Yike, yike. <laughs> it's a weird one. Next up, there's Pines of Rome by Ottorini Respighi, where you have flying whales. Oh yes, this is the space whales bit. I like this concept so much more than I like this execution, you know? It- <laughs> Pines of Rome is very cosmic. It's very space music. It's very glittering, starlight, spaceship streaks across the sky. Um, so when he talks about how the opening, like, ah, it brings to mind, you know, palisades and cities. I'm like, eh, what, mate? I want to see a rubber-faced alien threaten Kirk. 
Look, they're going to say a few things about what music obviously brings to mind, mm-hmm. and I'm going to disagree with them somewhat, but, you know, we'll get onto that later. Yep. <laughs> America. Uh, but yeah, my main problem with the Space Whale one is that I don't... But like, the CG here looks really bad to me. I... It's, it's not bad, bad, you know. It's not like shitty Netflix cartoon bad, but it is like... Just is casually just dunking bad? on a... Bu- <laughs> Hey, I'm only dunking on shitty Netflix cartoons. <laughs> Some of them are great. Uh, and and just, I I kept thinking, back when they would have been forced to animate this by hand, it would have looked a lot better. <laughs> I specifically didn't like the way the whales moved. They seemed too weightless to me. It's a fucking whale. It should seem slow and majestic. I love that you're complaining about the flying whales seeming weightless. That's not that's not to that's not a complaint about your criticism. I want you to just examine the sentence. I know, I know, I know. I understand that sounds goofy, but you have to like to make that seem satisfying, you still have to root it to a sensation that feels like a whale. Otherwise, it just looks like you're moving a cell over another cell. You know, it's you gotta sell the sense of movement, even if it's through air. Like, things that fly don't immediately become effortless just because they're in the air. Even whales, probably, if they could fly. Flying and swimming are the same thing, just with more resistance. We ain't telling you nothing about what we can do. <laughs> <laughs> He's pulling the whales card. <laughs> Alright, fine. Well, look, if the whales rapture happens, you have to take me with you. Alright, fine. Um, next up, you have Rhapsody in Blue by George Gershwin. Uh, which is very reminiscent of all the cats join in, but without the yikesy bits that we did not care for the first time. And instead, we get a healthy dose of New Yorkin' over here! We are New Yorkin' over here. Took me a while to realize. When I saw the subway, I think, was when I clued in. Oh my god, it's so New Yorkin'! (laughs) There's, um, there's a message that runs throughout this one, which is about... Uh, a kind of like a shock and awe at the interconnectedness of of everyone in New York, the way that all these stories like touch one another and have all these common points. And I'm just like, yeah, because you live in a fucking city. That that's actually a thing that happens here too in small towns. I see the same people on the bus from time to time. New York's New York's not fucking special, is what I'm saying. <laughs> what do you mean, Talon? It's New York. Yeah, it's the most New York City. Voted number one New York out of all the New Yorks. How can I still not do a New York accent after all the time we spent making fun of New York on this podcast? Yeah, you do come across as a plucky British actor trying to blend in. (laughs) I don't want to blend in! (laughs) Okay, I can do mobster, kind of. (laughs) Just impersonate the fucking mouse. You watch that movie so much. Oh, Packy Doyle. Yeah, he's from Brooklyn. (laughs) That doesn't work for any words I haven't explicitly heard Timothy Mouse say. <laughs> oh well. Moving on. Anyway, it's it's kind of fun. I don't love it. It's, it's just sort of hanging around, doing stuff. It looks like it's expressing a very real set of anxieties about a very real moment for a bunch of very real people that was also 40 years before this movie happened in the 20th century and is therefore a celebration by old men of their childhood. So, like, who gives a shit? <laughs> I guess so. And it's also sort of the sense that none of these were real problems necessarily because they could all be solved by one uh, fortuitous moment 
And, um, and the, you know, complete removal of a woman. <laughs> yeah, I guess the real moral of this is that if you hate your wife so much, you should maybe just fucking divorce her and you'll both be better off. Yeah. But, you know... But the bill! The <laughs> bill! <laughs> the bill, yes. that That's what uh, made the difference, uh-huh. Yep. Christ. Yeah, that, th- that's the thing, right? Like, fucking... We talked about Fantasia was this exciting new look at the future kind of tech we got we've got going on here. This movie is staring backwards, <laughs> complete yeah. with its non-stop mentioning of in the other Fantasia. Yeah, yeah. There's a bit at the beginning that I made a note on actually where they talked about how you know they originally intended to to do a lot more Fantasia, <laughs> but that fell by the wayside until now. And immediately after now forever. <laughs> Honestly, I would not mind if every ten years Disney as like a micro feature of like just a half an hour every year just pooped out a Fantasia. Just just give a bunch of animators an excuse to generate three minute videos or, or five minute videos to classical music and call it a Fantasia and make it a fucking Christmas product and just <laughs> just keep doing that forever because I don't mind shitty Fantasia if the purpose is to keep exploring Fantasia. I really mind this when the point seems to be, hey, we made Fantasia originally. Aren't we great? Yeah, people are feeling like we're maybe not doing art movies anymore since we made, like, Hercules, Mulan, and Tarzan all in a row. But, uh, don't worry, we're still art. Check this shit out. We fantasied. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's what they were going for, but it has a bit of that flavor. It's interesting that it came out in 2000. It was not being made in 2000. <laughs> yeah, exactly, because if a lot of what's in here is, like, Hmm, yes, I can see why America would have really incredibly been in the, mo- in the mood for a movie where almost every sequence is about a dreadful disaster ultimately resolving to and life begins anew uh, in the year 2000. But uh, it, that couldn't have been, it couldn't have had anything to do with this because this would have had to be made at least a few years beforehand. Production note, hey, here's a thing from later on in the article. Um... It started work in 1980. Wow! This was almost yeah. going to be Fantasia 1990. <laughs> Damn. That would have been quite something. And there's a bunch of stuff from the original Fantasia that they would... Originally, one of the ideas was, let's just finish what we started with Fantasia 1. Let's just have Fantasia, all of Fantasia, and then all of the stuff we couldn't do because it was too complicated at the time. You know who does damn near do like an iterative Fantasia at this point? Pixar fucking about with their shorts on Disney Plus. Like, a good half of them are without dialogue, and are just exercises in animation and and comedy and music. I don't know about Pixar's exercises fucking around in their shorts, so I'm moving on. (laughs) I'll show them to you later. Well, anyway, that was Rhapsody in Blue. At least no one got raptured that time. Uh Uh-huh. Next up, we have Piano Concerto number 2 Allegro, Opus 102, by Dmitry Shoshkostovich. Okay, there are too many words in that title. I'm going to need you to cut it down to Steadfast Tin Soldier. Yeah. Um, what I did find interesting about this and briefly thought, oh, maybe this is a theme that's going to go through the whole thing, is how the story of the Steadfast Tin Soldier is ultimately a story about being beholden to fate and how, again, all things are interconnected. It's the, it's the this is how a king passes through the belly of a fish. Um, sorry, this is how a king passes through the belly of a beggar. Uh, it, it's a well-known... 
I haven't heard that phrase before, but I think I can infer the basic idea. That's because no one ever goes past the phrase, I knew him, Horatio. The ah. gravedigger in that sequence tells a story about um, the way the, uh, a king dies, is buried, worms eat the king, the worms are pulled out and used as bait to catch fish. The Ooh. fish are caught by a beggar, a beggar eats the fish, and thus you and see a king. And then we eat the antelope. <laughs> and so we are all connected in the great circle of Hamlet. Yeah. And the Tin Soldier, that story represents the original Hans Christian Andersen story, which, yes, I've read, because, yes, I was a boring fucking kid. <laughs> Even I know this one, and I have to say the uh, the Disney ending on this is quite a thing. I, I honestly quite <laughs> liked that. I, I, I thought I thought the fact that, the, that you bothered to show you the eye as it went into the fire, like, you know, whew, that's a punch <laughs> unpulled. Um, but... That story is all about the interconnectedness of all things, that same way that, hey... Tin Soldier has no way to get back. But Tin Soldier does get back because fate connects all these things and fish are carried... Fish are caught by fishermen and fishermen sell them to fishmongers and fishmongers sell them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that whole cycle of all these things working together does mean that the that the things wind up back where they should be and, oh, isn't that a lovely, reassuring feeling, small, powerless child who is getting a story written to them <laughs> by one of the weirdest masturbators in Protestantism. But also all love ends in tragedy kind of he does wind up getting the the ballerina in the end of the disney piece yeah in this version yes yeah <laughs> don't think i don't know how the original ends again protestantism's most weird masturbator <laughs> i look uh hans christian anderson was a very sad man mm -hmm. um and you know th this is not different from his other fairy tales in in its ultimate sense of tragedy and uselessness Anyway. Uh, also, though, it kind of takes away from that sense of in interconnectedness in the face of helplessness when they just have the toys move around of their own accord as well. Like, Yep. Well, it becomes a very mm. difficult story to tell if you don't. It, yes, I don't know. I feel like you could find a, a more artistic way to do that. Uh, though you would be telling a story without a lot of motion, which would be even more challenging, especially when the whole point is to set it to music. So, I don't know. I have mixed feelings. I also think the CG in this looks pretty naff. Um, though at least there's a reason for the, the you know, overtly CG'd stuff to look fake. Um, it really makes the fish look weird, doesn't it? Like, the fish are classically <laughs> drawn. beautifully drawn, beautifully animated. Like, Disney, the like, rats. we could do some fucking bubbles. <laughs> we know how to draw bubbles. Trust me on this one. And the, the scenery of the town and everything in this is fucking gorgeous. Just casually setting the scene with some of the best looking stuff in this movie. Uh, and I guess I did really enjoy the jack-in-the-box. Like, he has a good sense of being an unhinged fuckhead as a villain. Yep. Don't mind him. Wish that he wasn't... I wish the story wasn't the way the story is, where the girl's job is to get threatened by men. But, eh. At least she takes some agency in it. Yeah. Like, multiple occasions fights back against the villain, which is more than you could have said for this if it had happened early in the Disney canon, I'm sure. Yep. Next up, you have the Carnival of the Animals. Oh, this is Flamingos with Yo-Yos. Yep, by Camille Saint-Saëns. This one, I liked. And I'm sure it's not just because it's one of the only completely traditionally animated... Well, yeah. we've talked about computer cells and shit before, but this one is traditionally animated. It crests the lofty peaks of fine. I I enjoy the one Flamingo kind of deciding to shit-stir after, after people piss on his parade. And, you know, I guess that's just an emotion I can get behind. Also, it's quick, so it does not outstay its welcome. I dislike the way that the joke 
at the end is unplanted. Like, the whole thing is he gets a yo-yo, and then he uses the yo-yo and it bothers his friends, and then they beat him up and they take away his yo-yo. But he just has, like, seven more yo-yos. And, it like, don't get me wrong, I absolutely am here for I will increase the fucking thing. (laughs) Yeah, that's what it is, isn't it? It's good energy, and also this whole thing reminded me of a Lion King level. Oh, yeah, this thing is, it stinks of the uh, can't-wait-to-be-king level, hey? Yeah, and and it has that same almost video game-like playfulness of, hey, you know you can't touch these things, how close can you get to not touching them? And that's really cool. I, I, I do think that's good. It's just, I wish that that final joke was something better than, and with a jump, the flamingo had seven yo-yos. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I didn't really see it as a joke. It was just an ending. That's true. But I was happy enough that it wasn't hanging around for too much longer, because like a lot of these are quite long as well. Speaking of, The Sorcerer's Apprentice. Oh, that's right. I don't even have a note card for this one, because it's just The Sorcerer's Apprentice again. It's exactly as it was the first time, but I guess it's been polished up a bit. I'm sure they retouched it for this, but I'm sure the version we watched was retouched as well in First Fantasia. Go back to season one and listen to me go off on this for 30 minutes. Yeah, we don't care for the ethics of the Sorcerer's Apprentice. We feel that if uh, automating the process of menial tasks frees you up for joy and relaxation, uh, then it should be viewed as a positive thing and uh, fuck you and sit. Yeah, you know, I'm not here for the position that labor unexploited is profit squandered. Yeah. Next up, we have Pomp and Circumstance by Elgar, a.k.a. Land of Hope and Glory. <laughs> Damn it! I, I meant to ask you to rewind just for this bit. I'm so annoyed. <laughs> I want to know if the introduction he says specifically that Americans would associate it with graduations. Yeah. Or that, you know, when hearing this, you and I would associate this with graduations. Because <laughs> there's a big difference between one of those and the second one makes me go, fuck you! Either way, this song's an asshole. It's so, wow, it's it's really plodding, isn't it? It's very almost oppressive in how heavy it, heavily it indulges in its own gloriousness. What is the first word of its name? Well, yes, exactly. (laughs) I mean, I'm not saying it's it's not badly named. Yeah. It, It delivers on the promise. And we get a creationist fable. Which, by the way, the creationists also hate this. What if we made it about God? Because it's a toy box arc. Sorry, it's a bathtub arc, and they hate that. Bathtub arc? The the illustration of an arc is having a big bulging bellied one. Big bulging bellied one, like a bath toy. And it has like a giraffe head sticking out the top. And they're like, no, 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 it was a vast complex. It was a big and long and impressive, and it was square ended, and it was. It didn't look like that, and they want you to think it looks like that, so it looks silly. Like, <laughs> Who's they? You're the ones who made the buff toys! you, you got to remember, the creationists who believe literally in this think that there are maybe 1,500 Christians, period. Yeah. And everyone else is just faking it. All of them are wankers. Yep. <laughs> anyway, I've never seen an arc illustrated as not like this, except for the one that's like literally just a half moon shape with a little house on top. Yep. Which is surely the more cartoon version. And, uh, yeah, do you have anything to say about the animation? Anything you like about this one? Or are we just going to move on after having talked about what Ken Ham thinks is shitty? It's too shiny. (laughs) (laughs) 
don't know what it is. No, not shiny. It looks like it's got a Vaseline filter over the lens. It mm. looks like a fuzzy soap opera. It is a soap opera, yeah. Which is really weird. It also includes a bonus hat tip to a Protestant fragment of belief that the fantasy creatures yeah, die in the flood. Yeah, yeah. Ha ha, the unicorn and the dragon and everything refused to get on the ark. So that's why they're not here anymore, but they were totally real because someone in the Bible mentioned something that looks that sounds kind of like a dragon. So we choose to use that as proof of that, 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 that. Yeah. I mean, who wants God if he's an asshole who kills unicorns anyway? I will give it one thing. I do like the obvious sight gag where Donald sees the ducks walking past and is, you know, does the double take. Mm-hmm. I, I was given to understand that they probably were meant to be the ducks on the ark, but then he started doing the yeah the guiding ever. So I'm like, wait, is he Noah? No, he's not Noah because the human characters do show up again to the end, and like then the guy who makes the ark in the first place would have to be God. And I don't remember that, but like God just fucking comes down and lumberjacks that shit. What I love about this is literally it's Disney placing themselves in the it, Bible yes, story. It absolutely is. It's a weird one. I do, I do actually like that they went and actually put a story in there of like, you know, while Donald and, da- and Daisy are on the Ark, they can literally lose track of each other. It's dumb. It, it's the same thing that happens on a cruise ship, but... <laughs> yeah, if it had just seemed a little bigger, I would have bought the idea as well. Mm-hmm. Oh no, the creationists were right, it does seem small and silly. <laughs> this is definitely the fault of toy manufacturer. Oh, if you want to talk about a realistic arc, we can get into things like methane oh, distribution. That's not. There is no such thing as a realistic arc. And from there, we move on to the Firebird Suite by Igor Stravinsky. Is that what this one's called? Yeah. I was very bad at listening to the titles this time around, clearly. I wrote them all down. <laughs> but this is our piece with the, the nature spirit and the helper deer, isn't it? The sprite, the elk, and the volcano. I noticed that they chose this for the uh, the thumbnail on the streaming service, and I believe they were right to do so. This is by far the best bit. Yeah, this of, is of Fantasia Two Thousand. This bit whips. It's <laughs> it's the best in mar- it's the best marriage of the visuals to the music. It's also the one that comes from the most interesting idea. Because remember how I said this is going to be nineteen eighty? Oh yeah! Uh, Suddenly, this seems very uh, nuclear warry, doesn't it? No, no, this is about the eruption of Mount St. Helens. Oh shit, they had a big... Yeah, god, I forgot about that. Yeah, that wiped out a forest. And, like, originally when I was watching this, I'm like, well, this should be an Australian forest because they're the ones that actually burn down and regrow repeatedly. And then... I mean, not from volcanoes. I was watching this and thinking this should be, like, Polynesian or something. Yeah, exactly. But no, this is is a really great example of an actual American myth. That suddenly makes sense. And it's beautifully illustrated. Uh, the deliberately slightly inhuman look of the sprite makes the CGI uh, a lot easier to handle. I mean, it they do not seem heavily CG'd. I'm, I'm sure CG is involved, but mm-hmm. uh, from what I can tell, there is a lot of traditional line work gone into this, yeah. and therefore it does not look disappointing and mechanical like a bunch of the other heavily textured CG does, let's say. And the the Firebird especially is mm-hmm. um, is is clearly CG, but once again in a way that doesn't you know stick out and look weird. The only part of this animation I didn't like is the very beginning when the stag's walking through the snow and the snow just parts like it's nothing, and it's just I don't know. It's it's me being heavily detail oriented and a dumb animation nerd, but 
And that just made me cross. But the rest of the animation in this is lovely. I really enjoy how the sprite, um, uh, like, transitions between a thing with legs and, like, a bird shape. And sometimes yeah. it's a dress and sometimes it's, it's you know, angelic. And I, I really love the fluidity of this form, which is how a fucking nature spirit should look as far as I'm concerned. It shouldn't be bound to some kind of simple form. And especially not one that looks explicitly gendered. Yeah. The technical note I would have here is that the elk's antlers were 100% CG. Ah. That, and, and that right there, that I think is a really good use of your 90s, early thousands CG. Of like, we have a complicated three-dimensional object that doesn't ever need to be focal, but if you mess it up, it can look bad or weird. So just get a computer to handle it completely consistently and build around what you've got. Also, more importantly, does not need to deform. Yeah. Indeed, if it deforms, something's gone wrong. And, like, you can do that in animation. It's not wrong to make something move in a way that it can't move uh, compared to its its real-world existence. But you don't get the effect of, well, one part of this animal is weird and stiff, so it looks wrong. Because, you know, if you've ever looked at anything with Atlas, that's exactly how it looks. Mm-hmm. It's like, here is a living creature, and here is a weird robot shape stapled to its head uh anyway at least they ended on a strong note that was nice for them yeah really really solid stuff otherwise i don't know do we have any just general remarks for whatever land most of these comedians are not funny anymore oh yeah i mean all of them were funny at the time what the hell happened here they're just lifeless even steve martin can't make this can't do a funny bit in this movie well i think it's at the time the inherent tension like the original fantasia same thing they had jokes they were they were being funny but in this one, I think it's the same thing where the, the just like the inherent <clears throat> bigness of Disney at this point means that it's not funny. It's it's you know, it, forgive me for embracing this word of the youths, but it's cringe. It is cringe. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone's really here to be funny. I feel like these are probably scripted jokes that were handed to them. The most natural bit feels like uh, fucking Pendulette. Yeah. Rambling about magic for a bit. I, that's which, the only part of this that feels like maybe the actor did it on purpose. Which, 10,000%, that's scripted. I know. <laughs> I've seen him deliver that speech three times. All right, but it's scripted by him. Yes. <laughs> that's the difference. I feel like most of that shit was otherwise handed to the uh, the speakers. Or maybe not, I don't know. But it has all the energy of, like, a charity gala, right? It, oh, no yeah. one's having a good time here. Yeah. They're just showing up. And, uh, and, you know, putting their I endorse company B because I was in one of their movies or something. <laughs> on my hat. I'm trying to think about it now. Has everyone on that stage been in a Disney? I've not seen Penn and Teller in a Disney. Everyone oh my else, god, I, I hope they've been in a Disney. That'd like, be good. We, we should find if they've been in a Disney. I want to <laughs> see that. That is definitely my stuff. <laughs> well, I, okay, I don't know if Bette Midler's been in a Disney, but she did do the, the, the yeah. Hunchback yeah. Uh, cover. Uh, we know Angela Lansbury's been in Disney's. Quincy Jones did music for one, surely. I don't remember. Uh, who else have we got? James L. Jones. <laughs> what could he have been in? I can't think of it. Yeah. Uh, Steve Martin, I don't know if he's been Look, in a Disney, but I hope so now. See, here's the thing. We are now speculating out loud. It's true. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. is all not right. content. Fine, yep. <laughs> this right. is us not having done the research. You can skip all that if you want. <laughs> Fuck it. This, uh, this movie didn't try. I'm not trying. <laughs> Right, and uh, 
Well, I guess since we're done with this, uh, we, we come to the true reward of all uh, self-impressed uh, Disney products that dominated industry in a completely ill-deserved fashion. Capitalism. Yep. Hey, I did the capitalism intro for once. You did. It was really good. I liked it. I liked it a lot. <laughs> Let's thank, draw some more attention to it. Thank you very much. It was it was smooth like butter. Thank you. Now, Should I have made a joke? Do you want to go back and write a joke for me to read out? <laughs> and I'll stand like this in an evening gown on a shawl and just look really fucking awkward. We could do some prop comedy as well. That just lands real well. Oh boy. Because I know what orchestras really want happening around them is prop comedy. <laughs> Maybe I'll get to pretend I'm talking to Mickey Mouse on stage. Anyway, so budget. Did you think it went up or down over Tarzan? God, I hope this costs less than Tarzan to make. If yes. this costs more, I'm going to be so sad. Yeah, this went down after, went down after Tarzan. This cost $85 million to make. <laughs> Still not really worth it. Which is <laughs> 45 under Tarzan. Oh dear. What do you mean? <laughs> more than, like, you know, if we go three movies back, they will have spent less than that again, won't they? This oh, is a short target. The, the budget for this is like double the Lion King. Uh, <laughs> yep, alright, moving on. Uh, what did they make? Go on, guess. Uh, I don't know. I feel like this probably did better than it deserved, just because, like, you'd go see it because it was the new Fantasia, and it kind of hurt that it was the year 2000. Did it? Did it go up or down over Tarzan? That's the only question I'm asking. Oh, we're only we're worried about the over-under, huh? All right. Now, as I remember, Tarzan was quite successful. 450 million, yeah. Um, <laughs> Like, Tarzan's in the Aladdin Club. Oh, how cynical do I feel about this movie? <laughs> um, probably down. I don't think anybody went to see this twice. Barely anyone would see it once. It made 90 million. Whoa! Oh! Oh! Oh, wow! Oh, dang! <laughs> Fuck! I was not ready for that. Wow! Fantasia 2000 made less money than Oliver and Company. Oh, shit! <laughs> That's worse than any Renaissance movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. Fantasia 2000 made less money in 2000 than Fantasia did in 1993. I mean, I guess that makes sense because it was a self-congratulatory <laughs> pat on the back and not really a movie that was made to make money, but still, I feel like it probably stung a little bit. Did you say 85 to make? Yeah. And 90 intake? Yeah. Ooh! 5 million profit. That ain't Disney numbers. Don't get me wrong, I would be pretty happy for 5 million in profit. I think I could cope you, with only you, making you 5 million in profit. You yourself with 5 million dollars. But, but I'm one dude. <laughs> I'm not the Disney Corporation. No, and you didn't just get $400 million from Tarzan. <laughs> Which has Phil Collins improvising in it. <laughs> well, Phil Collins improvising is better than Steve Martin not improvising, I guess, is what we've learned. And this is it. This is the bonus episode. The twilight of the seasons. The the, the Gotterdammerung of these two ideas. <laughs> I'm glad we tacked this onto the end of the, yeah. the Renaissance season. It feels right. This is where it belongs. Yeah. Disney has officially gotten too full of themselves. This, this is the long, keening whine of one self-sniffed fart. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, you're not wrong. And from here on, things get weird! Oh, that's so, oh, man, I wish I could now do a fart noise and turn it into Sorcerer's Apprentice, right? 
Cassie, it's just too hard. <laughs> Cutting all that shit. Uh, <laughs> if we had a trombone, we could manage it. But, That's pretty good. Now do it with a long fart lead in. Big breath. No, 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 no. Like a, a squeak fart that then turns into what you just did. <laughs> that there is cheek control. <laughs>